This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It wasn't cool to be, you know, polite or gentlemanly or any of the, like, virtues that, you know, young men would expect to, to possess in earlier eras now that had all been thrown out the window and it was about being as gross and vulgar as you possibly could be and who could be more disgusting basically hi this is lol tolhurst co-founder of the cure and this is budgie co-founder of the creatures drummer with the slits and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we drew the map. Hi there. So I guess this evening is Celeste Bell who is the daughter of X-Ray Specs singer Polystyrene. Celeste recently made a documentary on her mother called I Am A Cliché. Hi, Celeste. Hi, hi. Thanks for having me on this evening. (laughs) We're not too far from each other. Yes, you're in the south of France. I'm down in the south of France. You're in... Yeah, Catalonia, yeah. So last time I went to Catalonia, I went to uh, Salvador Dali's museum in Figueras. Have you been there? Uh Uh-huh. I haven't, no, I haven't yet. Um, we really want to go there and also go to Cadiques, which is the the village that he, I don't know if he was from there or he spent a lot of time there, but um, yeah, we, we really want to go. Yeah, he has a house there, right? Yeah, yeah, he had a house there. That's on the coast. And Figueres is... Um, It's not on the coast, is it? It's a little bit more inland. No, that's right. I went there when I was uh, in my 20s. I I had a French girlfriend, and we traveled down from Paris on a train with her cat on a lead, (laughs) and then without, which was very exciting. It was a wonderful experience, really. I mean, it was great. You look around, and you could see all of Dali's paintings just by looking at the landscape. It just looked like his paintings, you know. Uh-huh. So. Well, yeah, and as, as we're going to be talking, probably talking a bit about my mum, yeah, I have to say that she was a big Dali, Dali fan. She introduced me to Dali's paintings uh, when, I was, when I was a child, and she, you know, tried to explain to me why they were, very interesting and not just weird as I thought, you know, when I was about eight, <laughs> eight or nine. Um, uh, and then, yeah, I came to appreciate it myself later. <laughs> uh, that's another reason why I love her then. That's another reason, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I saw the movie that you made. I really liked it. I thought it was great. Thank you. Thank you so much. How, how long did it take to to make it from beginning to end, you know, from like conception to the final cut you know a long time it was um we started at the end of 2016 and uh, we finished 
in 2021. So it was uh, five years really um, wow. from start to, to finish and uh, lots of hiccups on the way and uh, you know everything took a lot longer than we thought. I mean Paul had a little bit, the co-director Paul Sung, he had a little bit more experience than I did so uh, but even he thought we would finish the film in a year, which was just, you know, really way, way too ambitious. <laughs> um, so it took us much, much longer than that. And uh, but yeah, I think that's actually when you when you speak to filmmakers um, who make these kinds of documentaries and music documentaries are particularly challenging for lots of reasons, um, that actually seems to be quite standard in terms of how long it, it takes to do a feature doc. Right, right. What was the, what was the most challenging thing? Um, well, in terms of the music documentary genre, what, what tends to be challenging, and, and it, it also was for us, is, um, is the financial aspect. So, you know, you have to think about the music itself and, and clearing it. Um, and... I don't, I didn't own, uh, at that time, I didn't own the master's rights um, and still don't own the publishing rights. So um, even though I had, you know, already relationships, it was, it's easier, it was definitely easier for us. Um, it was still, you know, that was a big learning curve um, because that's quite, quite a big job because there's a lot of music that we use. Um, and that will be, I think, for a lot of filmmakers, that's that's kind of a big hurdle. Um, and then, of course, we had to clear all the footage that we used because, you know, it's a it's a documentary that uses a lot of archive, um, and so that had to all be cleared as well. So it was just like uh, I think we didn't really um, reckon with the sort of the the budget and, and how huge <laughs> uh, it was going to be. Um, so that I would say was the, the biggest challenge and I think anyone making music documentaries will come across similar issues. Yeah, yeah we know all about that. We've just had a, a similar experience. We made a, an album, me and Budgie and our friend Jackknife Lee and we started just before the pandemic and we figured, oh, it'll take us about a year and it'll all be out. It's, it's only just getting released now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the other thing with, um, this is not really related to film, but I know with music and, and friends of mine who've been trying to get music out at the moment is, you know, with the pandemic, I think it put a huge delays in terms of manufacturing. Um, so there was that you know people are having to wait especially if they want to release vinyl um you know you've got to do everything way way in advance so yeah i think the the effects and and we were still making the film yeah like we were at the last stages of making the film when the pandemic happened and it definitely it it kind of slowed us down a lot but at the same time it, it it kind of um allowed us to really intensely focus on it so it sort of uh, in terms of the film, it, it you know there were good and bad points about that whole experience. Right, right. That's that's kind of what we found with with the making the album. That it's like in one way it was frustrating because we wanted people to hear it, but in in other ways it's been a godsend because 
we've had a lot of time to focus on it, focus on what we wanted it to do and what we wanted it to be. So in the end, I think we've turned out something that's much uh, more satisfying to us all. So, you know, I, I really, really liked your your film. I watched it, like I said, about well, probably about two or three months ago now. And uh, I thought it was it was good because obviously you're very, very close to the subject. Yeah. But you also had, uh, you know, a film, I don't know what I would call it, a filmmaker's eye or whatever. You you were, you know, you were able to be dispassionate enough about it for it to come across well. But also it had that emotion in it that's necessary when you're making a film about your mother, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was definitely a lot to, you know, a balancing act, I think, Um to, to get all of that right and you know it helped that I was working with a co-director because that gives gave us a little bit of space and distance you know so um, obviously I'm super close to the subject but then um, Paul wasn't so you know that that was helpful but yeah even even with Paul um, just finding that balance I think was um, you know a, like a long process throughout the filmmaking journey of um, trying to be objective um, whilst, you know, um, still making something that's deeply personal um, and also something that's sort of true, you know. Um, I'm not going to say we put everything in there, but it's definitely, you know, trying to be um, real with it. Um, you know, that's that, that was very important to me. Yeah. Um, that... It was it was balanced also in terms of the storytelling, you know, that is because, uh, you know, I could have made a very different type of film um, without maybe some of the, you know, more like raw uh, or revealing kind of elements. Yeah, no, I know what you mean about that, because I've, I've written a couple of books. The first book I wrote was a memoir. The second one is sort of a memoir as well. But it's like you have to make a decision that you're going to be as honest about stuff as possible because otherwise nobody's going to believe it you know yeah uh, and and i think pe people cotton on very quickly if you're trying to pull the wool over your, their eyes so that's what i liked about the, your, your your documentary because it was real and it did feel real to me There's a lot of people that were affected by uh, your mum's music, me included. You know, Germ-Free Adolescence, one of my favourites of all time. And okay. we, were, we were talking the other week with um, Fat Mike from No FX, which is like a punk band out here in, in California. You yes, know? I know them. And he could quote all the lyrics off of that, and he loves that record. And he doesn't like much, you know, like he's very um, picky about what he likes, but he loved that. So, I mean... You know, it, it cut across a lot of people. I mean, obviously, you know, she's your mum and you were growing up when a lot of that was happening. But did the film help you realise just what an impact she'd had at the time she was doing all of that? Definitely. Because, um, you know, a big part of the film and uh, the book as well, because we, we, we wrote, we were sort of writing the book and working on the film at the same time. And the, the things that, the, the element that both the book and the uh, film share were the interviews. So we we did a lot of interviews, um, audio only, and so we used those interviews in the book. 
And then um, also the same audio we, we used in the film without talking heads, so you don't see the, the people being interviewed. But um, it just provided, like, really, really valuable insight um, into not just my mum, so it was, often, you know, mainly people that knew my mum, but also into the era, the time, the music, the wider context of punk. And then a lot of people who were just sort of influenced by my mum, uh, people like Nina Cherry, for example, um, and sort of, you know, other artists who, who my mum had an impact on. So, yeah, definitely learned a lot about making, uh, about the, the impact that she had making the film. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a real time of, of revolution you know and she was right there at the forefront of it uh you know you, you can't overstate just how much things changed radically at the end of the 70s you know yes and and also in you know what i learned was that in my mum's lifetime and and i think people who grew up in that period just how much life changed from you know my mum was born in the late 50s um and then you know, to when she was in X-ray spec, society had undergone a just a massive transformation. Um, you know, like some, I think even greater than you know the the change from the late seventies to the, to today. I think you know the cultural shifts of like the the sixties and seventies were just so profound, and that was sort of my mum's youth. So a lot of that kind of went into the songwriting and and uh, into her art really that you know observation of, of just how quickly it felt that society was changing modernizing and you know the consumerism and just things that we take for granted now as well in terms of you know mod cons it was all very new when my mum was writing about this stuff yeah, no, absolutely it was. I mean, because me, me and Budgie are, uh, we're from the late 50s too, you know, so we remember it, how it how it was absolutely a, a, you know, a complete psychic change for the whole world, mm -hmm. especially, you know, like living in England at the time because it was very uh, austere in England at the sort of late 70s, you know, it still felt like you were still, still in the Second World War. And then all of a sudden, all this new music came up and a new atmosphere. Yeah. And uh, it just felt very liberating. De yeah, definitely. I can imagine. Um, I was born in the early 80s, so I missed, I missed that. But I, I do remember, um, you know, people like Goths, for example, when I was very little um, and see seeing them on the... Um, on the underground in <laughs> the tube with my mum and just uh, oh. and just staring, you know, and my mum having to tell me tell me off, you know, that it's rude to stare. <laughs> um, and there were just there was so in London, you know, in the still in the eighties, you know, you had just the the clothes and the fashion and the the eccentricity eccentricity of people. Yeah of just everyday people I think was that's kind of sadly I feel like that's something that's not really not really there anymore like it, it was um no uh, I don't think people are so creative with their anymore with you know their their image as they were back then yeah 
I should have uh, I should have interviewed you for my book because I just got a book coming out in September that's all about goth. Oh, so, okay. you, know, <laughs> that, you would have been perfect. But, you know, never mind. We'll do a follow up. <laughs> do you think your mum would have done with you know the the internet and social media what do you think would have happened for her with that I mean just you know your own idea um well she was my mum was always very much what you call an early adopter when it comes to new trends and technology so my mum had a had a computer when I was very young so I, I had access to a computer at like 15 um so that that was in the 90s um and yeah she had like a you know a blackberry when it came out and then she had an iphone way longer than i did so she was pretty much she was pretty much uh on it with with technology and and with with the internet as well with um sorry with social media so she was on facebook um i think she even had a twitter so you know she was definitely like in her later years uh she was really into social media i think she would have just gotten more and more sucked into it yeah the reason i asked you is because i i was thinking that she was always some somebody who liked to express herself but was probably a little shy as well you know so Mm. social Mm -hmm. media and stuff would have been a way for her to express herself because i mean i like Mm -hmm. you know the clothes she wore, the colours, everything, you know, it was brilliant. I was thinking, well, social media would have probably made it easier for her to be able to do some of that stuff without having to get, you know, in the mosh pit with everybody, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and I think she was, you know, the, it coincided, you know, the, the rise of social media, it coincided with my mum's sort of comeback, you know, just before she um, she passed, she was getting into music again. You know, released Generation Indigo, right. her last album, and she was up for touring again. And I think it was just because, yeah, the whole landscape had changed so much that it was just, first of all, like playing live was just was just had become a much more comfortable experience um, because. You know, she the last gig that they did was at the Roundhouse. You know, so and she was only up for doing those kind of bigger um, venues where it was, you know, just a little bit like more comfortable. Um, yeah. And and then and then yeah, with social media, she could just reach um, so many more people, like fans all over the world, um, without having to leave her house. So I think right. yeah, she was to- she was totally into it. Um, and if she if she was still around, she would be even more into it. Even like the the fact that you know we can do podcasts and we're all in different countries. Um, right. I'm sure she would have been you know maybe even doing a podcast herself. I will say though, my mum was not one for um, caring about having uh, you know like mainstream or popular opinions, and she was quite happy to be really controversial. So maybe she would have, she she may have been cancelled by now <laughs> i think <laughs> with the cancel culture um cuz yeah she was definitely going to say what she thought you know whether it was uh, 
uh, a popular thing to say or not. <laughs> right. Well, that, that brings up a very good point because I think one of the things that she was responsible for is, uh, you know, being to be, to be able to be a woman and have mm -hmm. an opinion and have a strong opinion and just be, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, just be who she was. And I think that lit the light, you know, lit the path up, if you like, for a lot of people coming afterwards. So she's really, uh, to my mind, you know, if I think about it, when I was a young man and listening to, you know, X-ray specs, it was liberating. You know, it made me realize, hey, you know, we could all do something a bit different. And uh, so it was very motivating. So I feel that she was a, a great motivator in that way, you know. So I, you're right. She, in the current climate, maybe she'd have been canceled. But you know what? <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. You know, really, really. Because, you know, otherwise we, we don't always want to all live in little beige boxes and be all exactly the same, you know. No, ex exactly. The spirit of punk for me, like obviously not having been around it at that first wave, but when I think about punk, it is that it's do it yourself. And uh, in order in order to do it yourself, you have to be independent, an independent thinker. Yes. You also have to be um, kind of rebellious, I guess. Um, and yeah, I think nowadays it's, we live in a, in a, I think that thanks probably part to social media, it's a very conformist era, in fact. Yeah. Um, you know, conformist in the sense of, you know, people tend to clump together in groups and tribes in a, you know, of course punk was tribal as well in a way, but it's, it's very much, um, I feel like there is a lot less scope for, for self-expression in a weird way because you would think that there would be a lot more but um, I think yeah the, the the social media has led to you know bubbles of, of people all kind of thinking and acting in, in very similar ways right. and that was really not what the punk ethos was at all no I mean something that a lot of people forget back then was that you know we adopted everybody everybody who wanted to do something different you know was our friend you know and that's how we'd start out and so it was much more inclusive you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. somebody's being very uh, somebody's being very self-expressive <laughs> with you yeah, yeah. <laughs> who's that celeste ah oh, that's my baby leo um, leo a good name can you hear it yeah <laughs> leo is four months he's in the in the other room with his dad um, oh my goodness but yes yeah. it's uh, it's when it's bedtime uh, he's often um, he gets the the uh, you know doesn't want to go to sleep kind of uh, crying. The good news is it gets better, but the not so good news is it takes a long time for it to get. <laughs> <laughs> talking talking about media and 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 the people coming together and 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 if you like the support networks, I I, I got the feeling again from watching the, the clip footage from the arena thing there was a guy do you know who it was who was interviewing your mum on the, on that the ferry on the mersey i'm not don't mention any names unless you want no, to no, but I, I, don't, I, I, I no i don't know i don't know and we tried to we did try to look um look 
you know, look him up. Um, but no, we, we didn't find <laughs> out actually who it was. He was very pushy and very, uh, yeah, using words that you wouldn't normally hear in an interview. Because it was, you know, because he had some good words. Yeah. But your mum just looked like a bit disinterested. It was cold and it was raining. I thought it was really nice. Again, it looked like the tour manager came in to rescue the situation. But I, I recognised him. I recognized him because I'd left Liverpool probably by that point, but um, it, he was up up and coming and, and a kind of a wannabe journalist. Uh, I don't know who, is, maybe, he's, maybe he's listening, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it kind of, it, it kind of unnerved me and shocked me because what I realized yeah. there was very little, um, uh, what's the word, awareness yeah. of, of being, uh, having to, having to protect people. No against opportunists no no not at all and i think i think um a lot of those journalists there was a kind of a, a style of journalism at that period because there were lots of interviews that we clips of interviews that we use in the film where you're kind of just shocked you're shocked at the interviewers uh, the the right. questions that they're asking like just straight up rude to be honest um and almost quasi-insulting. Yeah. Um, and I think that that was kind of the, you know, the the cool way of being a journalist, I guess, at that time. Yeah. Um, well, I, I also, I'm also going to say something here which might, you know, not be in my best interest, but it kind of true. Uh, British journalism, there's a, there's a, a vein of, of that kind of, you know, horrible as horrible behavior in British journalism that doesn't exist in other parts of the world so much, you know, uh, it's always been a bit antagonistic. Mm -hmm. But it was, it, it was very clear to me that, you know, as you, there was, a, I think a quote where your mum just said, you know, uh, I was just like writing words and I thought it'd be fun to start a band. And then, and then it all went crazy, crazy, crazy. And, and it was very, like it came across very loud and clear that, it, it wasn't comfortable for her, you know, and it was very moving and saddened me uh, as well. But, uh, you know, thinking back, it was, any, everybody was, uh, you know, what's the word, um, uh, available uh, yeah. to be pilloried and, and you know, um, mm -hmm. and, and dissected and, and investigated and, but not in any any kind of good way. It was just taking pot shots, and it was really not very pleasant. And maybe, hopefully, anyway. I mean, when our our, our good friend John Lydon, John Rotten, at the time, really kind of gave the press back what they were not expecting, you know. And it was kind of formulative in changing the the way that. Uh, if you like the entertainment industry as it was had set itself up and now everybody had to play the game with the press and television yeah and and, and also uh, goodness it's you know lol and i grew up in a britain uh -huh. where if we mention one of the child entertainers of the time we're not allowed to now because you know messrs savile and harris yeah and were you know uh, light entertainment TV presenters all found guilty of abusive behavior with children. And, and, and it, it was part of the closed shop culture that was 
guarded dark secrets and it's it's not a good time to look back on is it there's no uh, it's a, it's a difficult time to look back on it's a shocking time well i think i think yeah there's a lot of stuff that was was wrongfully hidden and just awful yeah i'm very glad that that part of it doesn't exist anymore no but the the thing that I, that I, i didn't like though really was much more about personal attacks from the press you know yeah. they kind of don't know you you know yeah If if you'd come from a background of um showbiz or something like that you know you you knew how to go with it, roll with the punches and what punk did was allow people who'd never been on stage before had no real ex- experience and we learned on the job we we got up there yeah and the idea of missile throwing and spitting and all the rest of it all of it kind of made good press but it was really dangerous and 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 frightening for people like your mum and that's right and the other if you like brave women that were, were getting up on stage and confronting that kind of a crowd um because it was it was rife misogyny was rife and it was out in the open yeah as was racism and sexism you know and i i think you know like after there were those there were some interviews went there with the sex pistols where it was they went on a, a daytime pb you know and they were swearing i i've seen some clips um this is the bill grundy uh, affair right yeah yeah the the bill grundy interview um i think those kinds of like episodes probably established um punk in you know or punks in the national psyche as being a certain way and uh and i th- i think p- the way then people thought that they had to behave with the punks they had to kind of mirror that in a way or and and so it was um you know in terms of like the crowds at, at gigs that my mum was doing you know it was just it wasn't cool to be you know polite or gentlemanly or any of the like virtues that you know young men would expect to to possess in earlier eras now they'd all been thrown out the window yeah and it was about being as gross and vulgar as you possibly could be and who could be more disgusting <laughs> basically was you know was was cooler i mean in fact you know all all the pseudonyms that people gave themselves you know like havoc <laughs> you know um johnny yeah johnny rotten or sid vicious i mean that's just you know perfect example so it was um i think there was a lot of that and and but and i think there was there was a lot that was just fun about that and it was just kids expressing themselves and really really like taking the piss but my mum happened to be a very sensitive kind of soul ultimately even though she could give as good as she got but you know and she'd grown up you know in a rough environment and and she was a fighter but right. she she had this very sensitive ultimately like artistic soul so um you know her her vibe let's say was really far removed from that right. when it came to 
her music because um, that it was ex respects they were punk in the sound but I don't think necessarily uh, they were kind of what a lot of people thought about of, in terms of punk in terms of their lyrical um, or my mum's lyrical output which was much more introspective and um, a, a, just a little bit different than than a lot of a lot of the other stuff so yeah. I think she was um, yeah it was just hard I think to keep playing along with that kind of um, you know the, the game you know to, to keep up with that yeah Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer, Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wilde. Digital marketing, Margie Taylor. Art and logo design, Justin Thomas Kay. Music production, Jack Knife Lee. Assistant editor, Ben Miller. Curious Creatures is on the web and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official Twitter at Cure Creatures To find more of the best music podcasts visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2023